One, two. All right. Good to see you this morning. Appreciate you being in the house of God. What a blessing to be here. What a blessing to have the baptismal pool full and the church full. That looks good, doesn't it? Amen. So thank you. Thank you. And uh, if you would take your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter number five. John chapter number five. And as you find your place, we what a beautiful August we've had. This has been one of the most pleasant August months that I can remember in my life. John chapter number 5, I just want to bring you a message entitled, Whosoever Will. Aren't you glad this morning that whosoever will can come to Jesus Christ? I don't believe in the chosen. I don't believe in the frozen. I don't believe in the predestined. I believe that the clarion call of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ goes out to the world and says, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Isn't that a blessing? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful for the day. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for this day, this Lord's day. We've got to come and worship you. I pray, Father, you'd help us right now to put our worldly thoughts aside, our carnal thoughts aside. I pray right now you'd help us to just put our sin aside and just let us focus on you this morning. Lord, you're the one who died. You're the one who loves us. You're the one who's here with us. And I pray that we would glorify your name in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You're with me in John chapter 5. We'll read that in just a minute. But I want you to notice, and, and you don't have to turn there, but John closes out his book. The Gospel of John closes in this manner. John says this, And there are so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they were all should be written every one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. So if the, all the actions of Jesus Christ were written, it would be large volumes. But John chooses seven miracles to show us the power of God. Seven specific miracles. Out of all the material that John could have chosen, he chose seven. So we ought to take the more earnest heed, the Bible says, to these things. These things were given to us as signs of significance. They were given to us as miracles with a message. So let's pay attention to what Jesus is doing here and what John is telling us in John chapter number 5. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season, that is between the Old and the New Testament, but now we're in the New. For an angel went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had now been a long time in that case. And he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, I love these words, 
Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. This story, this narrative is one that John chooses so that we will know Jesus had a specific reason to visit the pool of Bethesda. This meeting was not just a coincidence. Somebody say amen. Jesus went there with a purpose. Let me tell you something. You your being in Grosses Creek Baptist Church this morning is not a coincidence. It's not just a happenstance, and when the Lord meets with us, and he already has, and he will, it is not just happenstance. There is a purpose for being here. There's a purpose for the Spirit of God. There's a purpose for your life. Uh, hey, this world was created with God's purpose in mind. Amen. And so Jesus goes down. This was not an inadvertent trip. This was an occasion with a motive. He was going there to be a blessing. Let me just let me just break in on you right here with some wisdom, some spiritual wisdom. The best trip that you'll ever take is not a trip to the beach. The best trip that you'll ever take is, is not some cruise in the uh, uh, out in the ocean into the Gulf, the best trip you'll ever take is a trip to be a blessing to somebody else. The best trip you'll ever take is a trip to be a blessing to someone else. And that's what Jesus is going to do here. In John chapter 5, verse number 1, the Bible says there was a feast at Jerusalem and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, <laughs> like this. Because everybody or a lot of people just paint Jesus as some sad sack. Let me tell you something. I believe he enjoyed this trip. You say, how do you know that Jesus enjoyed this trip? Well, he was going to a feast. It's always good when a Baptist preacher gets to go to a feast. Amen. And, he's, and listen, the Jews had seven feasts a year. Somebody said all they do down there at the Baptist church is eat. Well, praise God, we don't eat as much as the Jews did. Amen. I mean, we're not grocers creek, we're grocery creek. We like to eat, praise God. And we're going to have a fellowship hall, praise God, that'll hold us all, I hope, before long we can eat again. But anyway, Jesus was headed, how do you know Jesus was enjoying himself? Well, he was headed to a feast. By the way, this Old Testament feast he was going to was a type of him. They feasted in the Old Testament looking forward to Jesus. I think we ought to feast in the New Testament looking back, Amen. And so they, Jesus is going, not only was he going there to enjoy a feast, he was going there to be a blessing to somebody. He's going to visit the hospital, you might say. Now, just, can I just break in on you as a pastor? When I visit the hospital, I always, or the nursing home, or I preach a funeral, I always plan on, I'm just giving you a little hint, I always plan on doing something pleasant after that. Hospital visits are not pleasant. Nursing home business, I try to be a blessing, try to be a help, but it'll take something out of you. And I'm going to tell you something. Last Sunday when I went to JMH and visited, I went to Cracker Barrel, praise God. <laughs> hey, and let me tell you, it's nice to go to the hospital and try to be a blessing to somebody and then go out and eat you some spicy grilled catfish. <laughs> Amen. And that's what Jesus is, that point is this, that's what Jesus is doing here. 
He's being a blessing to someone else. He's enjoying himself. Amen. But I want us to look at this man. I want to give you four quick points because we got a baptism. Here we go. I want us to see the disability of this man. Now, the archaeological residue and the evidence, the remains of Bethesda are still there. It was, we read it, it was a pool that had five porches around it. Bethesda was not a health spa where you went and took a little salt water swim and got yourself manicured. No, Bethesda was a place, I want you to consider this, it was a place like hospice. It was a place where they took the diseased and the dying and and people who were just so despondent and at the bottom of life. The Bible says it, it had five porches. The number five in the Bible, we'll get into biblical numerology just a little bit. The number five in the Bible is the number for death. Boy, when you went to Bethesda, there were all kinds of people just laying around, their bodies in different states of decay, withered and halt and blind, lame. These people were laying there very, very needy. And the Bible says this man in particular was impotent. We'll look at that in just a minute. But not only does Bethesda mean death, in five means death in the Bible, the number five is also the number for grace. I'm glad that in death we can have grace. I'm glad that in disease we can have grace. And let me tell you something. When Jesus comes along, the nursing home gets a whole lot brighter. When Jesus comes along, the hospital gets a whole lot better. Amen. I'm glad there are times when Jesus just comes along in times of death and he can give grace. Grace. Thank God for dying grace. But let me tell you something greater than that. Greater than dying grace is living grace. Praise God. I'm glad this morning that I've got some living grace. Let me tell you something. I need grace every day, don't you? I get tired of sin. I need grace. I get tired of unreasonable people. I need grace. I get tired of circumstances. I need grace. I'm glad this morning there's a fountain of grace. There's a fountain flowing with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Praise God. And so in Christ, there is living grace. There is a place. Let me tell you something. Our church ought to be a place of grace. I hate dead churches. I'm just going to tell you. I hate dead churches. You say, preacher, you ought not to hate any church. Well, me and Lisa went toured. We went on a little tour of homes here a while back. One of the tours took us into a church. I'm not going to mention the denomination, But I'm going to tell you something, even visiting that church with nobody there, you could just feel it was dead. Dead. I'm glad we got a live church, aren't you? I'm glad the baptismal pool is full this morning. I'm glad that people are getting saved, amen. I'm glad people's lives are getting, we've seen people's lives come, people come to Christ and their life get straightened out. I'm glad our church is a place where we can find grace this morning, where we can find encouragement and help and a smiling face and a, and a outstretched hand. Praise God for a live church. Now, I want you to notice this. Jesus singles this man out. Out of this whole group of people laying around the pool of Bethesda, Jesus singles one man out. This is a special case for a special purpose. 
I want you to notice this disabled man that Jesus focuses on has no strength. He's not capable of helping himself. He couldn't even place himself. When the waters were stirred and troubled and the angel was there ready to heal, he couldn't even roll into the waters. He was absolutely helpless. Let me tell you something this morning. If you're here in this church and you don't know Jesus Christ, you are absolutely helpless on your own to get saved. I don't care what you do, where you go, what you say, you are absolutely helpless without Jesus Christ to get into the waters of healing. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. The term here for this man is impotent. That means not potent. This man had no ability, impotent, no strength, no ability, impossible, not possible. This is a picture of man without Christ, headed for hell. Dear friend, let me just say this this morning, you cannot save yourself, amen. You cannot do anything to be approved of God. Listen, the only way you can be approved of God is get yourself under the blood of Jesus Christ. Get yourself under the cross of Calvary. By faith come to Christ, admitting your sin, confessing your sin, trusting Christ as your Savior. That's the only hope you have this morning. You're helpless. Then I want you to notice this. The man was not only helpless himself, he was friendless. There was nobody there to put him in that pool when the angel troubled the waters. His sick companions were unable to help him. They were in the same boat. Matter of fact, they were in competition with him. Those friends are a type of religion. Religion can't help you, friend. A good life can't help you. Benevolence can't help you. Church membership can't help you. Religion is helpless to get you to Jesus. <laughs> These companions represent helplessness and religion. <laughs> you can wear robes. You can speak depths of wisdom. You can pray on the church corners like the Pharisees did. You can preach in the temples. But without Jesus Christ, dear friend, you're lost and headed for a devil's hell. Period. I'm preaching whosoever will, though. First of all, we see his disability. Second of all, quickly, we see his desperation. Secondly, his, the reason for his inability to get in the water was his disability. He had some type. He was impotent. He had some type of disability that wouldn't let him put himself in the water. But that disability came, and the, the source of his disability, the source of his desperation was his sin. Let me tell you something about sin, S-I-N. College won't teach you about sin. The United Nations won't teach you about sin. Congress, the United States Congress won't teach you about sin. Hey, religion today, a lot of religion won't even teach you about sin. Let me tell you what sin will do. Sin will debilitate you. Sin will disable you. Sin will cause you to be desperate. Sin. Hey, it's, it's about time that we had some leather-lunged Baptist preachers who will stand behind the pulpit and preach about sin and the results of sin. This man is disabled. He's desperate. Religion can't do anything. Hey, let me tell you what. Sin will disable your mind. Sin will disable your body. Sin will disable your soul. But I'm glad to 
report this morning, there's a cure for sin, and his name is Jesus. Amen. I've watched many, listen, I'll see, <laughs> I see many of my classmates at times, and somehow I think they look old. <laughs> you ever see, I mean, I, I meet somebody and they say, yeah, I went to school with you, and I'm like, which class did you teach? <laughs> oh no, I went to school with you. I'm like, holy cow. And then you go home and you ask this question, Lisa, do I look as old as them? <laughs> hey, man. Sin. You know what? And here's the point. I've seen so many people. I mean, they used to be handsome. They used to be strong. They used to be beautiful. They used to be stately. But they let something come into their life called S-I-N. Alcohol. Drugs perversion, corruption. Are y'all listening? I'm preaching on sin. I don't care what the UN does. I don't care what the Congress does. I don't care what Chilhowee High School does. I'm preaching on sin from this pulpit. And this man was desperate. Why are you preaching on sin, preacher? Because it'll leave you disabled. It'll leave you desperate. And that's where this man was. But I want you to see not only was he had a disability, not only was he desperate, number three, write these down if you're taking notes, he made a decision. He made a decision. The Bible says when Jesus saw him, Jesus looked at him through eyes of compassion and eyes of pity. Now, I'm just going to make a confession to you, and, I'm just, and you can think whatever you want to me, but... Sometimes I see people, and I've seen people even this very week, who've made decisions in life to follow sin. And they're living somewhere on the street, on drugs, their life is ruined and wrecked. And, and I look at them and I think, you buddy, you've made your choice. I don't have a lot of compassion I don't have a lot of pity sometimes because I'm like, friend, you, you, you should have seen that coming. Amen. And I, but here's the beauty of it. Jesus Christ had compassion. He had pity. Aren't you glad he had pity on you? The Bible says that the Lord is pitiful and full of tender mercy. That is, the Lord is full of pity and tender mercy. So Jesus walks by and he sees this man in this shape. Sin is the reason he's in that shape. But he looks on him with eyes of compassion. This is not a condescending look like you shouldn't have been there. Bless God, I told you so. This was a look of compassion. I understand where you are and by God's grace, I will help you. Isn't that wonderful? I'm going to tell you something. This morning, if you're in this church, the position and the disposition of Jesus Christ, he's here to be gracious to you. He's here to be a blessing to you. He's here to heal you. He's here to touch you. He can touch your life despite of where you've been, what you've said, where you've gone, or what you've done. Jesus Christ can extend grace to you. And he looks at you with pity and compassion. And Jesus asks this question. He says, wilt thou... Be made whole. Well, that's kind of a, seems like kind of a silly question to ask a man like this. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to pay attention. 
What kind of silly question was that? Did, listen, Jesus didn't ask silly questions. I mean, he walks upon a man who is desperate, despondent, disabled, and he says, you want to be made better? Is that a silly question? No. You know why? And I'll prove it to you. He asked that question, who in their right mind would say, nah, that's all right. I, I kind of like this place. I kind of like being around all this death and all this dying and all this disease. I'll just stay like I am. Just leave me alone. That's for stupid, isn't it? Now, wait a minute. The reason that Jesus asked that question was he respected that man's will. Are y'all with me? Jesus didn't come by for my Pentecostal friends, I'll say this. Jesus didn't come by with a bottle of oil anointing everybody and dancing around and making a big show and jumping out of there. He didn't do that. He walked up to one man at the pool of Bethesda and he said, would you like to be made better? Would you like to be made whole? There's, there's no manipulation here. There's no coercion here. Jesus is not forcing his will on this man. He's just asking this man to receive him and to receive his healing. Now let me say this. Jesus Christ respects your will. He will not force his will on you. He will not force his salvation on you. He will not force his will on you. God is a gentleman. Amen. Amen. Now, on the other hand, let me just tell you this with a smile on my face. If you don't know Christ, the devil will force his will on you. He's a tyrant. He's a despot. Uh, he's, he, listen, he's a manipulator. You find somebody in society or in life or in your family who's a manipulator, they're more like the devil than they are God. Amen. Yes, sir, no retraction of that statement. So listen, Jesus did not force this man. God will not force his will on you. God will not manip manipulate you. But listen, someone may say this. Well, uh, if, if God... Uh, gives us a free will, does that not transgress his sovereignty? Well, not if he gives us a free will. Amen. If he chooses to give me an individual choice, then my choice does not step on the sovereignty of God. So we are people of free will. And Jesus is asking this question, what do you want? What is your will? Will you be made whole. Now, let's bring that down to a spiritual application today. You know what Jesus is asking us today? What do you want? I'm not going to force my will on you. What do you want? It's your choice. Do you want to follow God and the Bible and the way of salvation and the way of right? Or do you want to go your own way, the flesh way, the sinful way, the world way, the carnal way? The choice is yours. Amen. Don't get quiet on me. It's exactly where we are. Now, the worst thing, you, the worst thing that, let me just slow down. The worst thing that impotent man could have done would have said, not today. I don't want that today. I think I'll wait a little while. I'll see if I can't get better on my own. 
Not today. I, I, I think I'd just rather live here in this mess that I'm in. That's stupid. You know where people are today all across this country. God is offering salvation. He's offering blessing. He's offering forgiveness of sin. He's offering healing. And you know what people are saying every single day in America? Don't want it. If this man, I don't mean to be unkind, I'm just telling you the truth. If this man would have been stupid enough to say, no, don't want that, then we've got millions in America today who are very foolish. No, don't want it. Just leave me in my sin. I know this thing's killing me, but I'm going to do it till I die. Amen. Oh, I know that needle track is killing me. I'm watching it destroying me. It's killing my family. But I don't want the grace of God. Give me my needle. That's foolish. Amen. Foolish. <laughs> what do you want? Make a choice. This lost man is dying with cancer or sickness or disability and saying, leave me alone. <laughs> my goodness. By the way, let me say this. If you go to hell, you'll be an intruder there because hell was not made for man. The Bible says that hell was made for the devil and his angels. People are an intruder there, <laughs> yet people are going there. Hell was not made for man, nor man was not made for hell. You'll never convince me in predestination that God picks and chooses who's going to be saved and he picks a man for hell. To tell me that God chooses a man for hell is blasphemous. Blasphemous. Amen. God didn't create hell for man. He didn't create man for hell. I like what the Bible says. First of all, it says whosoever will. Second of all, Jesus said to this man, what do you want? This is your will. Third of all, the Bible says in Romans 5, 6, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for us. You know what that means? When I was without strength, when I was impotent, I was like the impotent man laying by the pool of Bethesda, without strength, without hope, helpless, without Christ in this world. But in due time, Jesus Christ, glory to God, died for me that he might save me and give me the strength and divine wisdom of Almighty God. I ought to be running loops this morning. Thank God for hope in Jesus. Then the, lastly, I've got to quit. Here we go. Lastly, we've seen his disability, number one. We've seen his desperation, number two. We've seen his decision. <laughs> I'm glad he made the right decision because the right decision brought him deliverance. Amen. Notice his answer in verse number seven, chapter five, verse number seven. The impotent man answered him, and I like his attitude here. Let me ask you a question, and I've preached part of this before. But look up here at me. Let me ask you a question. If you had been sick 38 years, laying by this pool, what would your attitude be? I don't know about you, but I'd probably be pretty bitter. I would. I mean, man, do I enjoy my eyes and my body and my, I enjoy running around. I just enjoy life. And if I've thought about that so often, what, George, what would happen if something would debilitate you? How would you handle that? 
But watch this man. Something had debilitated him for 38 years in verse number 7. He answers Jesus and says, Sir, oh, a respectful man, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He's not bitter over his circumstance. He's not bitter over his disease. He's not bitter that other people are beating him and in competition with him into the water. This man is just humble. Let me tell you something. You'll never get saved till you humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. I've dealt with people even this very week who were just too proud to humble themselves to get saved. The best thing you can do is just humble yourself under the hand of God, humble yourself under the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, that'd be the best thing you could ever, ever do. He gets deliverance. Jesus said, watch this, rise and take up thy bed and walk. I'm glad one day when I was lost and I came to an old-fashioned altar, I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ and I felt his spirit move into my body. I felt my guilt gone, my shame gone, my sin gone. I felt it was, you talk about getting saved, was a liberating experience. Praise God. And this man, what a liberating experience. He reaches down, rolls up his bedroll and says, I'm out of this place. Praise God. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. Let me close with two illustrations quickly. The first illustration was a man who was a drunk. He was on the street corner with his little girl. And he's given his testimony of how once all he, all he could think about was the bottle. All he could think about was fornication and adultery. All he could think about, but all he was given his testimony of how he got saved and how the Lord had delivered him from all that and how good God had been to him. And there was a man on the street corner that began to heckle him. And the man began to say, oh, you, you just, you're just living in a dream world. There's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as religion. It's all just a hoax. And the drunks had, the ex-drunk had his hands on his little girl's hand and she said mister she said don't you tell my daddy religion is a hoax she said he used to drink and he'd come home and he was mean to us and we didn't have groceries we couldn't go anywhere and we were afraid when he came home and oh we were missing food and clothes if if my daddy's dreaming please don't wake him up uh, amen. <laughs> let me tell you something about this book is real. God is real. Salvation is real. There are real people in this very building who've been delivered from alcohol, delivered from drugs, delivered from pornography, delivered from sexual sins, delivered, praise God, and they'll raise their hand and tell you that Jesus is real. Yes, sir. Here's your decision. I'll close with one more illustration. In 1829, George Wilson was a robber and a murderer. I guess not a robber, a robber. <laughs> a robber and a murderer. 
He was sentenced to be hanged in 1829. They still hanged people. Somebody shake your head. I believe in capital punishment. I'm not trying to kill the spirit. Let me move on. President, the president at the time was Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson wrote George Wilson a pardon. He didn't have to be hanged. A pardon. You can go free. <laughs> but the man said this. I don't want to be pardoned. I refuse it. Well, then what do you do? Well, then the Supreme Court had to make a decision. Can you imagine that? Here's a man pardoned from the rope, hanging by the neck until dead, and he said, I refuse it. Well, there was a chief justice at the time named John Marshall. John Marshall reviewed the case, and here's what he said. A pardon is a legitimate piece of paper, but it can only be legitimized and legalized by the acceptance of the recipient. So that pardon, according to Chief Justice, was absolutely of no value because it had never been validated because it had not been accepted. George Wilson was hung by the neck until dead. No pardon. You say, that's a pretty stupid decision. No different than the man at Bethesda if he would have said, Wilt thou be made whole? Nah, no thanks. You want a pardon? Nah, no thanks. <laughs> Where are you at this morning, friend? The pardon is available. Jesus Christ, I'm not going to hold up that. I'm going to hold up this. Jesus Christ, I'm telling you on the authority of the word of God, Jesus Christ offers you a pardon this morning. You can be free as a bird from your sin. Thank God. Every head bowed and every eye closed as you stand to your feet. I want to ask you a question this morning. I've basically preached a salvation message. And here's the question I want to ask you with your head bowed. Thank you for bowing your head, but I'm going to ask you now to humble your heart. And here's the question from the Word of God. Wilt thou be made whole? <laughs> Do you want to be saved? Wouldn't you like to enjoy the blessings of God? Wouldn't you like to enjoy the salvation of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you like to be forgiven and set free and healed of your diseases? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I sure would. The Bible says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh from heaven. God spoke to you this morning. I'm going to ask you right now to come, come forth right now. And by your coming, Brian will take you by the hand, take a Bible, show you how to be saved. I want to ask you right now to move. God spoke to your heart. You know you're lost. You know you have no ability to save yourself. You know that Jesus Christ is the only way. Come on, right now. Let's settle it today. Don't you go home. Amen. Here comes one. Brian, come over here and deal with this one. Somebody else be ready to deal with another one. There's a, God is speaking to others. I don't know what the Lord's doing, but you better, you, hey, listen, he's moving. I've never seen a move of the Spirit of God like this in my ministry. 
This, listen, Jesus Christ is moving, and you better move while the Spirit of God is moving. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, and now is the accepted time. And that call from heaven this morning is, Wilt thou be made whole? Don't be foolish like the rest of the country and say no to God. Say no to Christ. Oh, listen. You don't know how blessed it would be if you just throw up the white flag of surrender and say an eternal yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to do that right now. God is still dealing with somebody. Maybe you say, preacher, well, I've heard your message. I'm not asking you to hear my message. My message ain't worth a dime. But if you hear the voice of God, you better be obedient, dear friend, to that voice. He's speaking to you. He's calling you. He's asking you the question, wouldn't you like to be made better? Wouldn't you like to feel better? Wouldn't you like to have somebody, uh, listen, you can have a friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother. Don't refuse the Lord Jesus. Don't refuse him. God's still speaking to somebody. I hate to let the invitation go when I know the Lord is dealing with somebody. Wait, we're waiting on you. Would you come? Would you come? I'm going to close in just a minute. Oh, listen. Brother Mays, look this way. I'm through. You look this way. Thank you for bowing your head. Brother Mays said one time he preached a message. God was dealing with a man and he said that man gripped the back of the seat until his knuckles turned white wouldn't come to Jesus wouldn't come to Jesus wouldn't come to God he said I turned out he said I, I held the invitation I finally turned the invitation loose and he said that man ran out of the church for three days he was missing they sent out search teams and those alerts and couldn't find him and they finally found him three days later when they came back for the Wednesday night service. That man was dead on the steps of the porch of the church. Brother May said, I don't know if he got his heart right. I don't know if he just he was so scared. He said, I don't know the details, and we'll never know till we get to heaven. But this I know, he refused the Lord Jesus Christ for that one particular night. I'm going to ask you, friend. Don't you refuse Christ. We're closing the message because I need to move on. But let me say this. If the Lord spoke to your heart and you knew you needed to come, we're going to be around here for another, at least another hour and we'll spend all the time we need to take a Bible and show you how you can trust Christ, how you can have a right heart today. Don't leave these grounds until you know Jesus. Amen. Let me say that again. I want everybody to say amen. Don't leave these grounds until you know Jesus.